Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, starting out with Ed, Jody, Steve, and Mike today. We're being recorded live as always and will be up as a podcast shortly after its conclusion. As always, we invite people to participate live with us and to send any feedback they may have to our email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Hey everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah. Yep. Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day. So it's interesting. There's nothing burning in my mind that I'm dying to talk about at the moment for whatever reason. But Jody and I were talking a few minutes ago about the dangers of Thanksgiving if any of us have uh, lefties in our family. <laughs> and I'm wondering if any of us have that problem and how we negotiate it. And how bad is it getting? I just saw a story right before that something like two thirds of people are trying to avoid talking politics on Thanksgiving or something. You know, I mean, I love to talk politics and I love to talk politics with people on the left. Um, Where it gets dicey is when, and it's just so common lately, it's not about what is true. It's not about you know, I say something and they say, oh, really? I didn't know that. Show me how and where you know that. Give me the information. That's what I do. They say something and I'll say, really? What? Like, how do you know that? Where? Show me. Where's the info? Like, educate me. And they get angry when you ask them to substantiate <laughs> claims or, you know, uh, they won't, they won't, they're not intellectually curious about why I believe what I believe. And so inevitably, I would love so much to have these discussions if it weren't for that. And so that's where it gets dicey. And I've learned my lesson. I think it's best, not always, but most of the time to know. You know, right before the show, we mentioned that episode that I shared with you guys, Charlie Kirk interviewing Larry Elder and Dennis Prager. And I'm reminded that Prager said on that show that he learned a long time ago that, that leftists never discuss anything. All they do is smear. And he like tied it way back to like Stalin times, but that is absolutely no purpose in arguing with the leftists. And kind of like what Ed says, that you know, they just call your names and words mean nothing. And yeah, I think you'll notice it's they'll make a lot of really vague claims and you'll say, what do you mean by that? And they like, what do you mean? What do I mean? It's racism. Well, how do you, where do you, how do you define that? Where do you get that? How do you, and you know, that's just one thing, but, or Donald Trump is a raging authoritarian compared to Joe Biden. Well, what exactly did Donald Trump do authoritarian wise compared to Biden? Like, you know, and they'll say, well, his words on January 6th and inciting people, well, what, you know, so I get it. It's, it's, it is this, it's, it's, it's a, it'll make you want to, um, bang your head against the wall because it is just a constant chasing after vague claims and the 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 left so often getting angry that they have to substantiate anything beyond these little vague claims it's really sad that being said i still love to discuss and debate with the left if you can find ones that are willing to 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 have that discussion on an intellectual level let's have them on the show that we wish yeah, come on. I would love that intellectual discussion. You have to substantiate claims. You can't make these vague charges. 
Um, well, I'm going to be intellectually curious, curious about why you know what you know, and I expect you to be intellectually curious about why I know what I know. We, we definitely need to in, uh, invite the liberal day to the show. I know we kind of extend that out there, but we need we need to have one one day where we have at least a couple of our liberal friends on. To have I would love it. But uh, this time of year, I mean, honestly, I, sometimes I find myself missing Rush Limbaugh. But um, this time of year, you know, I always remember the story he told about the true story of Thanksgiving and how it, it's a triumph of, you know, free market capital capitalism over socialism, where the pilgrims all, you know, everything was communal and whatever they grew went to the community and they found that that didn't work. And once they had private property and everybody, you know, got to keep for themselves what they, what they made or sell it or whatever they did, then everybody had plenty. And that's really kind of the story of Thanksgiving. So I do kind of miss that. You know, it's um, funny you say that, Mike, because I was thinking about that also. That was it almost was a tradition. <laughs> yeah. And he tells stories so well that even if you hear it 50 times, it was. Yeah, that story is one that can't be told enough because it it's, has historic and, um, you know, uh, relevance for even today that people should understand that that story. Uh, but, you know, I don't have too many of these uh squabbles at my at my Thanksgiving dinner. I don't have too many left-wingers in the family. If I went to visit my brother, I have one wayward niece <laughs> who's been indoctrinated at uh, at these uh, at these camps known as universities. But uh, other than that... <laughs> I don't think that there are any honest liberals left. I don't know who you want to invite on the show, uh, but I, I don't think there are any lib honest liberals left. I think... Um, I mean, I'm not going to see my my family this this Thanksgiving. Uh, my siblings and my dad are all pretty far left, um, and they don't like debating things with me. Yeah, um, I don't particularly like debating with them either. If they were to engage, I sort of view my role as sort of a Shakespearean court jester, and I'll just say the most outrageous thing that I can. <laughs> I'm not trying to persuade them. I'm trying to entertain myself. Um, yeah, That's in my family, in my family, uh, we, we don't talk about politics, but uh, one of my cousins last year brought up, uh, or it was the year before, I guess, before the pandemic, brought up uh, President Trump. And I said, oh, you don't like the God Emperor. And that was, uh, you know, basically relieved the tension in the room. Everybody laughed and and we went on from that. So there is a there is a, a plus in uh, in sort of being outrageous and funny at the same time. I agree. Having said all of that, I will leave it up to the most passionate person today to bring up anything they're most passionate about. Um, I don't see how we can't start with being thankful for our justice system today. I mean, we had two two big verdicts this week. And I think, uh, I think those are the two biggest stories of the week. I mean, there are other things that we can talk about, but, uh, you know, the Rittenhouse verdict last Friday and uh, just a couple hours before recording today, the Arbery trial came to an end and the, the jury came to a verdict. Uh, I think in both cases, the jury did a good job and came out the right way. Um, Ed, let me ask you, were you surprised that the Rittenhouse one came out the way it did? 
I've learned not to try and predict what juries are going to do. So I wouldn't have been surprised either way. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to predict. You know, I, the, I think the last time I, I definitively predicted what a jury would do, I thought OJ was going to be spent, sent to jail for life. And uh, I learned my lesson from that one. You know, juries can do whatever they want to do. Um, I don't see how any honest person could have convicted Rittenhouse. I think had he come back, had they come back with, with convictions, I can't predict for sure what the judge would have done, but if I had been the judge, I would have set the, the convictions aside and said that there wasn't sufficient evidence for a rational juror to come to that conclusion. Um, it was it. I mean, luckily it didn't well, go to mistrial and, you know, hung jury and all that kind of stuff. It was just so clean the way it ended, which was yeah. the perfect outcome. I'm just, you know, I'm curious how many people thought that may actually happen the way it should happen. Well, you had a perfect outcome in part because you had perfect video that showed how clearly it was self-defense. Well, they didn't have perfect video, which was part of the issue, <laughs> is that they uh, messed up the video when they gave it to the defense. But I mean, it, it's good on a number of levels. I mean, obviously, he, he was not guilty, but it's also a matter of self-defense. Uh, I did watch him being interviewed by Tucker and I think he was, a, he showed he was a really bright kid. And uh, I think he was right when he said it was a triumph for the whole concept of self-defense that if he had been convicted, it would have sent a message to everybody that, you know, you can't protect yourself in those situations. Even if you're, you know, carrying a gun, forget about even bothering to do so going forward. So I, I do think that um, there's something to be taken from it. it it's hard hard to be confident in the jury system in cases like this, because we know the concern is that there's mob justice going on. And when you have a crowd of people outside with a megaphone shouting and who knows what they're saying, that the jury is going to be influenced by that. And, um, you know, as that went, lo went longer, I was concerned, but I'm just glad that it, it, the right verdict, I think, was reached in the case. I, I, I would love I to know why the defense attorneys, why the defense, why, why Rittenhouse's attorneys chose a jury rather than to have this tried by the judge. I, I can't imagine any judge would have. Do you think? Huh? You mentioned that last week, which was a really interesting comment. Oh, I did mention it. Okay. But it was a very interesting comment why they did that. And, you know, there's the recriminations against the early lawyers and stuff. Go ahead, Jody. I was going to say, do... Does the prosecution and the defense, they both going to say on whether it's bench or jury? Like, no. Was, was, no? Up to the ju it's up to the defendant. If the defendant wants a, a trial of his peers, he gets a trial of his peers. That's the defendant, weird. If the defendant wants to waive that, he can waive it. That's weird. Because it's his right. He's the only one who has the right. He's the one who can waive it. I, I kind of like that. I'm, it would be interesting to know why. But, you know, I don't know if you guys, Tom or um, Jonathan Turley, made a comment, I'm just going to paraphrase. Basically, he said, you know, that jury and saying in general, the jury essentially is the only line standing between the defendant and the mob now. And it really is a mob. But when you think about that, okay, if the jury is, is the line of defense between a person and the mob, when the mob is the jury, like, how do we not see that happening down the road? Because the jury is going to be made up of the mob if it continues 
on this road. So, you know, what can, what you mean would have happened? The jury that they'll impanel, if ever, for January 6th defendants. Well, and also, you know, I watched I watched the aftermath of the Arbery trial this afternoon and, you know, Sharpton came out and spoke. And one of the things that he said in his press, you know, in his remarks was that the mob was vindicated. And that this, you know, and, and you know, of course, that just pisses me off. You know, I I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I don't think that these guys should have been let off just to just to stick it to the mob. Uh, even though I do think the mob is is a is a grave danger to us, uh, but it's just it's awful. What, well, let me know, ask you a question, Ed. Who do you think is more qualified to talk about mobs killing people than Al Sharpton? <laughs> um, I think Al Sharpton is a weenie himself. I don't think he would kill a fly, but he's definitely good at stirring up mobs to kill people. He so. is he is good at stirring up mobs to kill people. That's true. Mm. Um. He's interested in justice. We can just go back to Tawana Brawley to understand that. Right? Yeah, I'm going to get back to Arbery in a second. I, I just want to make one point about the Rittenhouse trial, which I've seen one or two people allude to a little bit. It bothers me culturally that he's 17 years old. He's too young to do this. We've so infantilized adolescence that we pretend to be shocked that a child could do something heroic, forgetting that it was children yeah. who ran the world not that long ago before we infantilized them. Well, right. one and, thing, and Kyle wasn't the only one with a gun there. Why is he the only <laughs> one that that gets attacked for having a gun on that scene? You know, yeah. why wasn't that the guy who got shot in the, in the bicep, uh, Grosswitz or whatever his name is? Why has he not been charged yet? Is that unbelievable? It, it, it's it's an unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Yep. Well, one, I got to say, one thing that turned me off about uh, Tucker's interview with him, it, it, I mean, it was a little bit of a softball interview, but he kept referring to him as a child. And I'm like, why are you why are you saying that? Because, you know, 17 years old, you're an adult. You're you're almost old enough to go into the military. Uh, you're old enough to be charged as an adult. I, I didn't quite understand why he kept doing that, but it kind of irked me. But there's one other thing about that interview and what Rittenhouse said that that bothered me. And I don't know if it's true or not, but he said he was in the one jail cell and wasn't allowed to bathe for weeks on end. And, and I'm thinking about this in, in terms of what's happened with the January 6th, you know, rioters. And, um, you know, it's almost like, I don't know if it's on the level of torture, if it's true, but that's just, that sounds crazy to me. Well, if it would true. be Gitmo, it would be torture. So I think you do have a point. What does is there any recourse for that? Like, don't, do we have anything in our system where, where there's any recourse for that? And does he have any recourse as far as um, liable? Can he sue the president of the United States for for calling him what, for the words that he used during well, the trial? I mean, remember, this remember, Biden wasn't the president when he, when he said that he was not the president. And there's no, already. I think he said it during the trial, right? He's. No, well, he, he, he said he, it before he, said, he was elected. He yeah, during the campaign last year, he he basically smeared him. Well, right now, after he was pro he was proven uh, acquitted, ruled to be not guilty by the jury. Um, still, now that he's innocent, the uh, Biden, yeah. Harris, and all the leftists are still essentially saying he's a murderer. Some are saying the word murderer, right. some are not. They're saying this was bad, you know, a travesty, miscarriage of justice. This was a bad ruling. So, 
still, again, in a normal world, you'd have defamation, but for defamation lawsuits, as the Eds know, is extremely difficult. So probably unlikely. Um, no, I'm not going to move my camera down. I mean, I'm pretty much naked and we're libertarian, but not that libertarian. So we'll keep the camera <laughs> close to my head. For oh, now. I just don't want to see your chin. Uh, I, well, I, so we'll have this little goatee here that um, I'm doing the Clay Thompson goatee. Anyway, but for the defamation is probably not going to happen, even though it showed they've been calling him murderer for months, even after he was acquitted. But what I do want to talk about, Mike, that you mentioned is he was in a jail, not yet convicted. So he was in a jail pre-trial and he was being punished, you know, not just in the jail, but yeah. he was not allowed to bathe and he was being punished. Maybe like the January 6th guys, I'm writing a whole book. I have a whole book called Presumed Guilty, how people are punished before convicted or pleading guilty, not yet guilty, pre-trial, no trial yet. They're presumed innocent, but they're not really because they're punished. And there's a whole book here. It's like 50, uh, 30, what is it? 35, 40,000 words. It'll be a big book, 21 chapters coming out soon um, about how many people in every area of criminal justice, not just homicide, not just federal, not just state. Um, it's mostly federal, mostly DC politicians cause this, but in around 20 areas of law, almost every area of law, people are punished before they're convicted. And that's the big issue here. By the way, it's interesting. His bail was, I think, $2 million. And Mr. Brooks and what's that? Whatever. What's his bail? A thousand bucks or five thousand? What's his bail? It was it was a thousand for being accused of running over his girlfriend with that same right. Truck. And what Did is someone it? say five million? So uh, I believe it was two million for uh, Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse was two million. Do we know what Brooks's is now? Someone yeah, said it's it was five, five million. Five million. Five million. Okay, good. So I love all the lefties saying, you know, we really need to clamp down on mobs. Now, you, I don't know if you saw in the show notes that, you know, you got the California governor, I think, telling mayors we really need to rein in these mobs. And then you had the, quote, experts who are saying you're not allowed to call it looting. And then you have the people saying the experts are absolutely wacko. <laughs> you can't call looting looting. And no, you guys heard you're not allowed to gun out of protest. I forget which city is saying you can't use sex offender anymore. Did you see that story? Because no. it, it hurts their feelings or something. Mm -hmm. Can I talk about carrying a gun at a protest? Because nobody needs to be carrying an AR-15, an assault rifle, you know, machine gun with deadly bullets. Um, they weren't blanks, unlike Alec Baldwin thinking it was blanks. Um, nobody should carry that into a situation that's like so tense and dangerous, right? So the Democrats proposed the bill probably... Um, after Rittenhouse happened before the trial, but they proposed the bill a few weeks ago that, and it's titled, you know, to not allow people to open carry. Yeah, sorry, I'm pretty naked. I, you know, it's libertarian. It is what it is. You know, it's, it's uh, Free Talk Live actually does women topless shows. One of the weekly shows is just topless women. So whatever. Liberty Block is classier than Free Talk Live. Well, everything's no. classier. That's the ultimate anarchist show. But yeah, anyway. Um, On the other hand. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway th they proposed a bill that that let me find the title over here it pretty much says no one shall open carry or conceal carry uh prohibiting display of a deadly weapon and parade funeral procession picket line march rally vigil or demonstration so if you actually read the bill though so it sounds like it almost makes sense right at a protest you shouldn't um have ar-15s loaded at protest it's very tense I, I almost get it i understand the logic maybe if you read the bill, though, and I, I, I posted the whole bill in an article and the whole text of the bill, it pretty much says anyone at any protest or any other event. So now we're at any event in the world. Oh, so right, right. Anytime you're outside or if you're a spectator, and spectator is defined as anyone within 100 feet of the event, even if you're in your car. And it says even in your vehicle. So anyone outside can't open carry any, any firearm or other weapon. 
So this would actually ban open carry almost 100%, around 99% open carry ban in New Hampshire, right? So again, I've been saying for years, this is why you have to read the bill and understand their tactics. Yeah. They use a lot of tactics in this bill. They say it's about, you know, obviously they say it's a protest. They're, they're invoking the Rittenhouse issue. And then they say at a protest or any funeral procession or picket line or any other event, or if you're related or within 100 feet of any event outside. What does event mean? Or, or who's the lawyer here? Ed, Ed, Steve, can, can you guys explain what does event mean? Literally nothing. It means literally anything in existence outside of they, your house. When they decide they want no guns there, they'll call it an event. So yeah, this bill, I hope now that I called it out a few days ago on Liberty Block, I wrote an article. Hopefully it won't pass the Criminal Justice Committee, but it's scary. It's like, this is, again, this is why I write the articles to explain to people it's not about the title of the bill. It's not no. a bill to ban bump stocks. It's a bill that would have banned all guns. You know, this bill bans all open carry in the state. And it says loaded or unloaded, pistol, revolver, rifle, everything. So this bill, if it passes, would ban open carry pretty much 100% in the state. So hopefully now, like once NHFC and GOA get on it, they'll make sure the bill dies. But it's important. Good thing I read it and I reviewed it for uh, NHLA. Good thing. Good, good for you. You know, you were, it, you were kidding about not uh, uh, bringing an AR-15, right? Because if anything, we've learned that uh, an AR-15 is a very effective weapon to carry into one of these situations. Yes, he was satirical. You, you should. I, I believe people yeah. should carry AR-15s, and they do at some protests in New Hampshire. And I mean, he, he was, uh, he shot six for eight, which is better than LeBron from the foul line. Forget LeBron, <laughs> better than the cops. Way better than any cop and probably better than soldiers, right? Cops, yeah, you want yeah. a three percent accuracy? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's one in seven when it, with a handgun. You know, um, now I wouldn't do it, but then I I have a concealed carry permit, and he's he was seventeen. He's not allowed to carry a handgun or concealed carry. So well, well because of if he was going to be armed, laws, he had no choice but to carry a rifle. Because of the laws, and it's a great point, Ed. With most federal laws and state laws, I think it's actually easier to open carry it and easier to carry a rifle. For instance, it's easier to buy a rifle in a lot of different ways federally, according to the NICS. Um, you don't need an in-state license to buy a rifle as far as the ID, whereas federally, you cannot buy a pistol unless you have an ID that's at least in that state. If I go to the store and I don't have a New Hampshire ID like my regular driver's license, he will not sell me a handgun because federally- Yeah, and someone- Whereas you someone can buy an AR-15 though. Someone made the point that, uh, you know, if 17-year-olds were not allowed to uh, carry rifles around, we'd all be speaking British. I think we talked about that a lot. We still have British accents. And Laser and I actually issued an official apology to the Queen a few months ago on Liberty Block. We said we apologize. Violence is never necessary. We should not have had guns. We are 20 years old. We should not have had assault rifles. And we apologize. We should still be speaking the Queen's English. That's right. Thank you, Ed. Ed M, you want to go back to Arbery now that I... Uh... Now that the show is totally destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad that that we have one of our uh, semi-anarchist hosts on with us today because I think the Arbery trial anarchist. is the, the Arbery trial is 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 also about anarchism because from my from my reading of what what it was about, the police were were derelict in their duties. They were not policing the neighborhood. They were not responding to nine one one calls. So the neighbors responded to the uprising, the uptick in crime. By forming a neighborhood watch committee. Specifically, they were not doing the job because of the blowback from the death of St. George or Floyd. So that's an important aspect to uh, understand. Right. Right. And then, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on it, Elliot, because, I mean, this is. You know, there were no police. You know, I'm this really is what not would happen without at police. All with that case, so I, I shouldn't speak to it at all. I, I'm not at all familiar. Was that the jogger? They, 
they basically claimed they were doing a citizen's arrest. Well, well he's not a jogger. Right? He, he was a criminal. Yeah, but, I know nothing uh, about the case, though, so I, I have no clue either way how I feel about it. I have to look into it. I, 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 I listen to, uh, um, you know, our guy, uh, Riketa, for like an hour and a half before the show. And the, the panel there seemed fairly convinced that um, it was not a valid citizen's arrest. And so a conviction of some sort was probably uh, justified. So, Can you guys explain I, the details of the case for those who don't know? Yeah, uh, you guys okay. wrap and, up the facts of the case real quick. It, yeah, in 30 seconds, uh, Arbery had been seen uh, at a house construction site across the street from the uh, uh, the guys who were accused uh, multiple Allegedly times. It Things wasn't had established. Been, huh? th- th- what's that? It wasn't proved that he was the one that they saw across the street. That oh, yeah. Oh, other- no, no, that's it's. It, oh, it definitely was um, because they have video evidence. As things started to go missing from the construction site, the guy who owned it installed video cameras and Arbery was seen uh, on the video cameras. Now, uh, the, the thing is, I mean, there's, there's the, what the law says and you know, I, I can definitely be convinced that they're guilty, but um, they saw him one day, again, scoping out this construction site and they decided that they would go after him. They called the police. One of the guys was an ex-cop. And um, while they didn't get, while they didn't get the go-ahead to go get him, I think they more or less got the go-ahead to go get him. Um, and so they went and tried to stop him. They went in their their car because he had taken off. Um, and uh, they sort of pulled up next to him and told him to stop, and he wouldn't. And the driver got out holding a shotgun. The driver was the the sun and a struggle ensued uh, over the shotgun and the shotgun went off and then uh, the struggle continued, it blew his hand off. So Arbery was uh, actually reaching for the, for the shotgun barrel. And then the struggle continued and the shotgun went off again and Arbery was killed. Um, So the the first bullet grazed his wrist and then two bullets went and killed him. Well, it was a shotgun, so there weren't any bullets. Anyway, um, okay. The the basic idea was, uh, you know, citizens are allowed to make an arrest if they see a crime being committed, and they're allowed to make an arrest if they have reasonable suspicion. Uh, uh, well, if someone who's running away, if they have reasonable right. suspicion to believe that um, that person had committed a felony, and so that's what the that's what the um, trial was about, whether there was a reasonable suspicion that they had that a felony was committed and and uh, Arbery, that Arbery had committed a felony was fleeing. Yeah. Now, the, the, the question remains, um, you know, what the law, what does the law mean? That is, did they have to see the felony that day? For instance, if you saw someone uh, murder someone, but then he got away. But then he came back, you know, three days later uh, and you called the cops and they're like, yeah, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Um, Could you make a citizen's arrest then, even though um, the felony was not, you know, immediate? And the and the answer seems to be you could, according to the law. But the judge did not interpret the law. The judge basically just let the people have the um, the text of the law as the jury instructions and, and didn't you know, explain it. And so they, they came out with yes. Now, 
I, 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 the lawyers all seem to think that the, the guy uh, was not, the, the three of them were not falling along. Now, of course, they were overcharged and overconvicted, but that's another, that's another story. The question is, in my mind, and again, I, I defer to our, to our anarchist friend, uh, what if the police did the same thing? The police rolled up next to him, told him to stop. The policeman got out. He charged the policeman. He got shot. They do it all the time. I was going to say, the citizen's um, arrest sounds like it did exactly what cops do. It, he ended up it, dead. it seems to me, it, I, I don't believe cops have any more rights than, than, uh, than citizens. So it seems to me that from a moral perspective, they were innocent. If, uh, but I will defer to the legal experts to say that this was a violation of the law. But again, if your community is being terrorized, uh, which a lot of communities were after the Floyd incident, um, then and the police will not protect you, then the people do have a right to act as if they were police. And okay, I so going uh, back I, to the police scans, because you know Liberty Block's founder has uh, written extensively on this that the police are there to arrest and not punish. How do we start drawing a line between this and lynching? Well, you saw him rape your sister, so you tracked him down and you hung him up. And well, I didn't say I, hang him up. They were trying to arrest him. But There's they, a difference. He did end up dead. So no, that's because if you charge someone with a shotgun, you're going to end up dead. That that's basically the answer to that question. I um, I don't know. Some of us have a lot of issues with anybody ending up dead. So again, I'm not super familiar with the exact circumstances. We all agree that if it were cops who tried to apprehend a suspect and he ended up dead because he may have made a move for their firearm, he ended up dead, the cops wouldn't be charged at all. We all agree there's zero chance the cops would even be charged with the crime, right? Well, I mean, there was zero zero. chance this guy was going to be charged for the crime because they went through like three or four district attorneys who said it's not chargeable. And then they had to bring in a district attorney from Atlanta, basically, um, to uh, to try the case, and I, I think the. No, but uh, I thought that the reason that they ultimately charged was because they found the video from uh, what's his name's dashboard. No, no, the reason they the, the reason they I mean, come on, let's be honest. The reason they charged was because it was politically very, very uh, damaging that the uh, that the local county people said, um, no, this is not a crime, and we're not charging it. Um, in the in you know in the. Um, in the era of Floyd, it was just unacceptable. So it was, it was a politically motivated trial, let's be honest. Now, whether or not the prosecutor's discretion to not charge them in the beginning was, was correct legally, again, I'm going to defer to the lawyers who I, I, I respect, um, who say that it, it probably did violate the law. Um, but I, I, again, I, I think from a moral perspective, if, if they were cops, they would not be charged, or if they were charged, um, they would certainly have gotten off. Um, just like Michael Brown, the Michael Brown cop uh, got off because Michael Brown was stopped in the middle of a road by a cop. He charged the officer, tried to take his gun. The officer shot him, and he ended up dead. That was kind of one of the first um, Black Lives Matter, and that's exactly parallel to this case. I mean, down to. You know the last decimal point, and so I think, um, from a moral perspective, I, I think they're innocent. I'm going to disagree with you, Ed, and disagree with our anarchist host. Uh, I think the police. I think that you do have a stronger obligation to stop and to not resist the police, and that's because you have 
constitutional rights that limit the police officer's action that don't apply in the same respect to, to a private citizen. Um, when a police officer tells you to stop, you stop and you, you, he's not allowed to punish you until all your system, all your due process is all the due process rights that you have are satisfied. Uh, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I tend to I tend to hold the police to a higher standard than a private citizen rather well, yeah, than a lower standard act, because they're because no, the they're actors. Is, of the, the issue the, the issue that you raised though was was not the not the the police acting; it was resisting the arrest. Yeah, right. I agree, Ed. You, you make a decent point. I, I think it's a fair point that police and citizens are not the same. The citizens arrest in, in no world is it the exact same thing as police. Right. Yeah, Listen, I, I they're, agree they're, with that. They're and called authorities for a reason, right? They're yeah. called the authorities because they're authorized to, to police. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I think, Ed, Em, you mentioned a few minutes ago that it's a tough issue of after the fact, can you call it self-defense as far as murder and, and self-defense? And as far as theft, can you make a citizen's arrest a minute later or a day later or a week later? Or what if someone did hurt someone, like they, they killed your friend? Can you come back three days later and kill them? In an anarchist society, that's a tough issue. Again, that's one of those few gray areas where we don't know. What does self-defense mean? Is it only in the millisecond of can I slip a punch and punch you? Is that self-defense? Or can I come back a minute later or a day later? And th those are up for interpretation. And most people agree, I think, that those are gray areas that might be case by case basis where I don't have a perfect answer for that. But I acknowledge that self-defense may mean a minute. It might mean a day. It may or may not be legitimate, depending on, I guess, what the authorities will do as far as discipline. If someone will arrest them, if we're totally anarchist, then you might have to do it yourself. But I I, would, well, I mean, we could go back and we could go back in America's past where there were uh, what are essentially anarchist enclaves. And the answer is, uh, if someone steals your cattle, you can go take them back. And if he tries to resist, you can kill him. And you do have to answer to a higher authority and you know federal marshals or whatever. But they are very much uh, deferring to you as the people on the ground who are trying to defend themselves and their property from criminals. And that's how it was in the West, in the United States, which was a, you know, a, essentially a, an anarchist society. And if the police are going to abandon the community like they did uh, uh, to this community outside of Atlanta and leave them uh, helpless in the face of criminals, then I think the, the citizens of that community as they organize and try and defend themselves should get more deference than the police do because they are not lawyers. All they're doing is private citizens trying to organize to defend their community because the police would not. And so I, I, I tend to think that, again, I'm no expert on this particular law. I don't even think the judge was, but um, I think that the citizens should have gotten more def deference based on the totality of the circumstances of this case. And now, those three in, in my community, I live in a nice suburban community like they do. If I saw somebody hanging around a house, I, I wouldn't go out and confront them or chase them in my car. I'd call the police and the police would come. Um, but if the police won't come because the police aren't responding because they're under pressure from BLM or whatever, I think you give deference to the citizens in that particular instance based on the totality of the circumstances. Now, that's just my opinion. And that's the way it worked back in the day. So if we're all reference to the citizen, I think you're hitting on that. That was the point I wanted to raise. I think that's really the elephant in the room here is both situations, the Rittenhouse case and the Arbery case involve 
massive derelictions of duty by the police, the mayor, right. by, the, by the government. And the people in those communities were left to fend for themselves. And it's almost like there was no law. I, I mean, certainly during the Rittenhouse riots, there was no law. I, I think with the Arbery situation, it's a little bit more of a gray area because they didn't have to confront him. Right. Um, I mean, I guess you could make the case that Kyle didn't have to confront any of those people either, but, um, but that was a, a that's a much more aggressive action. There's, there's a difference between an active to, riot that's taking try to place. arrest somebody. Yeah, there's when a you go to between, arrest somebody, you're, you're taking an, an aggressive action. Well, I mean, I think Kyle Rittenhouse took an aggressive action too. It's, but an, offense, it's an offensive action. Yeah, but when, when you say I was making a citizen's arrest, everyone knows that means you are on offense in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. there's a difference there. Well, I have a question for Ed P. Ed P, are you saying that if I see you outside your house and I pretend to confuse you with somebody else, you have to listen to my directions? Well, uh, that depends on the totality of the circumstances, of course. People can because have... The guy, I hate to say it, but because the guy was black, it was okay to do it. Uh, he was not in the neighborhood. He, he was known to have hung out at that place, and he was not a uh, resident. He was trespassing. He may have been stealing things. Trespassing he was on not a public a street? At he was trespassing. They, they didn't chase him because they saw him on a public street. They chased him because he was at, inside the house of, in, uh, under construction. No, that, okay. they said that that was in, in the past. They, he wasn't immediately fleeing from the scene of the construction site. As I understand it, yes, he was. Okay, now, can, I, I just uh, read you? can I just read you what NPR says? And this was three hours ago. NPR, I, that fountain of, of, of truth. I know, I'm just telling you, this is the facts that they're giving. Three facts. white men, and sadly, they have to put it into the prism of race, but that's NPR. So they said three white men who chased down and killed Amen Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was jogging through their... Georgia neighborhood last year were all found guilty. What was he wearing on his That suit? is a lie. That is, a, on so most that is just as accurate. They said there... he was out running. That's what he was, he was jogging. Wait, did he? Whose gun was it? Was it Arbery's gun? It was no. McMichael's shotgun that he had in his okay, truck. So because they that's how they run into that scene to do this. Jody, when what? you jog, what do you wear on your feet? Tennis shoes. Okay. How often do you jog in like big tactical boots? Oh. Well, that's a little personal for this show. I Yeah, especially for a guy who doesn't want to go below his chin. So, but are you saying uh, it's a lie? He was not out jogging. It is 100% a lie. He was not out jogging. What was 100%. He, he was, was casing he the construction site. Uh, Obviously, he I wasn't mean, stealing something from it because he I, I, I just, again, I like to verify but there isn't any video, video of him there isn't any video of him in the site that day there is video of him in the site from a previous day there is also the, the, the video of Maybe. the video of him in um i mean th this is this is just like another theme of all of this stuff right now that we're touching on is the media 
is so responsible for so much of the division and so much. Well, I want to know what's of, true. See, I, I don't know the, about the strife. Mike, Mike, I don't they, think they, this is media, though. I think this is. Well, this I mean, is they're, BLM they're, and Antifa. Okay, but right? they're they're lying. They're lying about this case in the media. NPR said that they lied. They lied. Up shot. You know what? Hands up, Ben. His hand was here. They lied about hands up. Don't shoot. They lied about the Rittenhouse trial. Right. But, they, they don't reveal all the facts. They don't even tell you that the per, the people he shot were black. Now they're, they're probably I, covering up for this guy Brooks in Wisconsin that apparently he had all racist content on, on his platforms, his social media platforms. And so now it lo- it's potentially looking like a real hate crime, revenge for the Rittenhouse trial, potentially. Don't know all the facts yet, but it's potentially there. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm not defending the media and I'm not defending know, the truth tellers, but, but I, think that, I think that the real the real story, the real issue here is is these these leftist politicians and and BLM and Antifa are creating and sowing chaos, sort of in the same way that that Nazis and communists did between 1929 and 1933, and they're just they're making it so that there's no way for us to defend ourselves. There's no way you don't know what to do. I mean, look at the people, look at the defendants in the Arbery case. Their neighborhood is is being attacked by criminals, they have rising crime rates, and the police won't help them. What are they supposed to do? Now, I'm not defending what they did. I've said, I think I that they were guilty based on, I mean, we're, we're sort of applying law to what was, what is becoming a lawless situation. I think was it Kenosha was a lawless situation. The police were derelict? What? Was it mentioned in this trial or the Rittenhouse trial that the police were absent and did that come into play I don't know. I don't know if it was mentioned in either case, but I know. I, I mean, well, it, was, it was definitely mentioned in the Rittenhouse case. That was one of the uh, main uh, comments that why was Kyle running after he shot Rosenbaum? Well, he was running because the police line was like two blocks away and he basically wanted to go and tell the police that he shot the guy. Right. But now, I think what Elliot's asking is, you know, was it was it was the issue raised that the police should have been doing what what Kyle was doing? And I don't know if that what that whether that was or wasn't, but anyone who well, sees the, the video knows the police weren't doing their job. Yeah, and I mean, I don't there, know. there are a couple of things that people have to understand about situations like this. And I get this from Kurt Schlichter, who was actually in the middle of the Los Angeles riots after the uh, um, Rodney King, Rodney King. And he said that to actually pacify an area takes a lot of troops. He was there with the National Guard. He was a battalion commander. Um, it takes a lot of troops to pacify a, uh, you know, a square block. And, and so you, you don't, if the, um, God, I'm getting abused on, in every direction. I'll have to come back. I apologize. Ed, I'm going to interrupt everybody. I think once again, you made a phenomenal point. So I, I kind of want to reiterate and emphasize what you said, that this is a product of almost deliberately sown chaos. Yes. Losing people with not knowing what to do. I think that was a great And And great can I? Right. And, so Ed Maslisch, you often say that it's anarchy. Can I propose a different type of term? And I think I got to give Daniel Horowitz for this one. It's not anarchy. It's not total authoritarian communism. It's anarcho-tyranny because it's anarchy for the, the lawbreakers, violent BLM, white, uh, black supremacists who hate whites, but it's, ty- it's still tyranny for us. My dad in New York still cannot have a gun. Can you have a gun? No, so it's not anarchy. There are laws, right? There are billions of laws in New York City. I know de Blasio and Pomo and Hochul. So it's, it's the opposite of that. It's not anarchy, it's tyranny. 
but it's anarchy in some ways because BLM is not punished and the police aren't doing their I control. just I just like the idea of what you're saying. It's chaos and people don't even know what to do. I think that's a stronger statement, more insightful than the way we've been looking at it. That's why I like that idea. Like we're lost. We, well, yeah, I mean, they're trying well, to undermine yeah, the entire and, civil society. So that's- I have a question. And the criminal prosecution is, is in effect trying to overlay law into a lawless situation. And it, okay. it almost doesn't fit. It's like a round peg in a, a square peg in a round. It's okay, so right. I have a question then. These municipalities who are basically abdicating their responsibilities to protect citizens in the first place, leading to these kinds of things, is there any sort of either state level Supreme Court or U.S. Supreme Court? I don't know what the, the Supreme Court has ruled that, that, that police do not have a duty to protect people. Their duty is to apprehend suspects of crimes. It's not to protect people. You aware of that, Jody? Well, I think no. Steve Steve started off the show. He was talking about the some of the looting. I think it was Steve was talking about some of the looting in San Francisco and, and Los Angeles. And I mean, that's the ultimate, that's the end game, right? That there's no law and that the bad guys just rip off everybody and commit crimes with impunity and and the good people just disappear. And and that's that's kind of what's happening. Um, so Ed, when when they when you know things were happening in the summer and you were saying Trump needs to go in there, it needs to go. That's what I said. Government needs to go in there under the Fourteenth Amendment. I think that's what your your argument was at the time. So why is it? Why would it be the same now? Why isn't it the federal government's job under the Fourteenth Amendment to take on these municipalities who are actively abdicating their role at protecting businesses and, and, and citizens? Well, the short answer is it is their job, but the anarchy and chaos that's being sown is being done not just at the behest, but, but to benefit the Democrat Party. They, they all think that, that, that it benefits them and that they are going to be able to get gun control and other measures passed based on all this chaos that they're sowing. So they have I'm no sorry. incentive to do it. Well, sorry, I had to go. I had to go get the, the door. But um, what I was going to say was in each of these cases, I, I think we give the police a, a, a lot more credit than they deserve. That is, I don't think police can can um, deal with riots without a large number of people. And they just didn't have a large number of people in Kenosha. In some cities, they do have like riot squads and whatnot, New York or whatever, whether they use them or not. That's, you know, a different story. When the when the George Floyd riots happened in Minneapolis and, and whole square miles of Minneapolis were burned to the ground, a lot of commentators uh, were saying, some on the right, some in the center, it's like, why are these uh, black people burning down their own neighborhoods? And BLM listened. BLM is not stupid. And so the next, the next thing they were talking about was like, we got to take this to the suburbs, you know, where the white people live, basically. And that is their, um, that, was, that was their plan, right? That was their plan. Take it to the suburbs where the white people live. And I think that the suburban police departments, Kenosha, for instance, which is a suburb of Mil Milwaukee, I think. No, no, it's not, but it's, it's close. Um, they don't have the police to, uh, the, uh, to, to police a riot. 
I mean, my hometown where I no, come but the, from, but the National has, Guard could have been called but, in. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that was yes, of course. But only sure, if they're vaccinated. Hold on. Yeah, only if they're <laughs> vaccinated. And so I think the the question is like, how long should people wait before they reject having everything they've built up in their lives destroyed by uh, rioters right. over uh, what what ended up you know. Being a wall, they should get their air 15s out and stand in front of their businesses. BLM riots last well, summer, we had in New Hampshire. I went to Manchester to the BLM protests, and they weren't riots, they were protests because a lot of people were standing with air 15s in front of their businesses. And guess what? None were looted. Um, yeah, the BLM protests were all pretty peaceful, so it worked out fine. But that's what the neighborhood watch in, in Brunswick or whatever that t- city was where, where the Arbery case happened. The citizens got together, they said, Look, we've got to protect ourselves, the police aren't helping us. So that's that's sort of what happened. And, you know, it's Ed's question is, is exactly right. At what point do you does does the government just effectively dissolve? I mean, if they're not protect, protecting the people, you know, the people have always have a natural right to protect themselves. Right. And it's you know, I mean, I think that those particular defendants probably went too far. And I think based on what I saw, you know, and I didn't watch the trial very carefully. Uh, it looked to me like the, from the facts that I saw that they were probably guilty under the law. But. The, the meta issue is, is a bigger question and a much closer call. Yeah. You know, and that is whether whether there was any law at the time. Right. And if there is was, no law at the time, then the law can't come in post facto and try and impose itself well, on Ed, what was essentially. That's what Ed just said. That's exactly trying to what I said when you left. I said, that oh, I see. These I'm, are lawless situations yeah. and they exactly. were trying to. They're trying to overlay law into a lawless situation. So right. I agree that, with you. That's like I had one of my liberal friends saying, oh, Rittenhouse was playing cop. And I said, what, what the hell does that mean anyway? I mean, the, the cops were told to stand down and do nothing. So what choice do you have as, as a citizen? You know what I mean? You have a natural right to self-defense. You know, my schadenfreude is, is enjoying what's going on in California because they raided a Louis Vuitton store. Now, I think it was a Louis Vuitton store in the inner city, if I'm not mistaken. And then they raided, I think, another Nordstrom's in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny. Um, it's it, was all, it was in San Francisco. I know. But I don't think they have well, Louis Vuitton in the inner city. Well, and, those are all stores of white privilege. Okay? Yeah, they are very much stores of privilege. I, You know, it's funny. We, we went to Louis Vuitton in Paris a few years ago. And I believe there were far more security personnel in there with the things behind their ear than there were salespeople. It was absolutely like surreal how many security people were were watching everything because every tissue in there was a thousand dollars. But and you see the Californians are like they're not comfortable with the fact that Louis Vuitton, which is their place, is being totally wiped out. But you can't call them looters and they're not comfortable. And one thing is interesting, the criminals or whatever you want. Oh, to oh you could call them looters, Steve, if they were white. You could. These criminals oh. are all black. That's why the you can't is, call them looters. What's interesting is criminals are not stupid. They get it. If they, The minute they saw they got away with the Louis Vuitton thing, they say, wait a minute. Well, let's go to Nordstrom's. And if we're going to get away with Nordstrom's, let's go elsewhere while all these idiots are you know, talking back and forth about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So, yeah, well, you know, the Californians, you know, I, they voted for it. So they must Lisa, like are it. you there? And do you have comments on this? Laser also joins, then it'll be full anarchy and yeah. full <laughs> destruction. 
I am here. Let the anarchy come. <laughs> Are you driving? I am. Well, actually, don't admit to committing a crime. We got Ed here and a few others here. Um, hands free. Hand, hands free. Yeah. Right. Um, right. I don't even have hands. I've been, I don't even have hands. I've been driving with uh, one of those cool straws that Helen Keller needed. Ouch. It's the Carl Sagan van. Oh, are you up on the bar, on the Arbery case? I know you and I were actually in Atlanta when it happened. We have an alibi, but we were actually in Atlanta when that happened a while ago. <laughs> are are you familiar with that case? I I haven't followed up since last year when it actually happened. No. Yeah, because I know nothing. I, I know I know very little. I heard there was a jogger, and that's pretty much all I heard. So I've been busy. I would have uh. known a lot more about it had you asked me this sixteen months ago. But, but they were convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Ed, are they going to appeal or something? I'm sure they're going to appeal certain, you know, evidentiary rulings and things that came into the case, but they're hosed. They're hosed. Uh, the defendants, the McMichaels are, are hosed. The, the chance of appealing that verdict is zero. So well, I mean, they're going to get life in prison. They're going to get life in prison without possibility of parole. All three of them. Okay. Can I ask maybe another? only okay. go on, Jody. Sorry. I was just going to ask, only one person had the gun, right? And only one person fought with him, but all three of them are convicted of murder? Okay, well, so that is- a felony murder rule. That, that is a complicated uh, uh, question. They were, they were grotesquely overcharged, like everybody is these days. There were four, uh, they were charged with four felonies, basically all, all the same, right? Conspiracy to- uh, you know, unlawfully detain someone, unlawfully detain someone, assault and something else. And so since it resulted in death, there were four felony murder charges, one according to each felony that they were charged with. And then the, the guy who actually held the shotgun, he was in charge with what's called malice murder, which in, you know, the you know, first degree with intent, killed him with intent. Now, I, I, he obviously didn't kill him with intent. I mean, that's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the, the guy with the shotgun was convicted of the first charge, malice murder. The guy who was following up in the truck and never really did interact with them, he, he was let off on one of the felony murders uh, and one of the... Um, He's going to get life in prison, even though he didn't even interact with the victim. There were seven right. charges, and he was Maybe. convicted of four, all of which have a life. Uh, so, Jody, sense. pretty much the basics of felony murder means if in the in the process of committing a felony somebody dies, even if you were just committing a separate felony and someone ends up dead, it's felony murder, murder one, and and you could be convicted of murder well, one. Even if uh, you weren't, even if like suppose that you're doing a bank robbery and you all your job is is the you're the getaway driver. But while the while your your confederates are in the bank, they shoot someone and kill them. You you were in the process of committing a felony, and somebody died during the course of that felony. You're subject to a murder charge. Yeah, I Which, always had a lot me, of issues um, with that one. I have infinite issues with that, starting with the fact that you know you are literally being charged with a crime you did not commit. So what sort of a farcical justice? I'm getting so angry. I might even add that to my book because that does make me angry. Laser, you're right. Literally, well, you drove a car. Crime you didn't you're commit. An, charge him with being a getaway driver. Don't charge him with murder. Well, you're an accessory. Oh, you're, your felony is... And charge him with like, accessory to murder, not murder one. Charge him with the felony that he's... Yeah. Yeah, not murder yeah. one. It's ridiculous. Well, it would be... It would be in, in the 
you know, vernacular we would be murder too. But I, I, I do think that the way the prosecution system works in this country is, is grotesque. And we saw that. And one of the things Riketa said is it was really good to televise the Rittenhouse trial because then we got to see how corrupt prosecutors are. He's a small town defense uh, lawyer. And they overcharge people, right? They charge them with, you know, dozens of crimes. The, the guy does one thing, you know, does one thing. He's charged with dozens of crimes. Wow. Then he goes in and he gets a, a you know, a, a public defender and they end up, uh, he pleads to, you know, three lesser charges. So he, he, he's put in jail for things he didn't do because they grotesquely overcharged him about the thing he does do. this book. Well, you're just you're reading out of this book pretty much. It's all in and, here. Yeah, I, think, I, mean, I mean, they probably overcharge when there's like politically charged, you know, big high profile public cases. But I think on a day to day basis, they, they're probably copping pleas and, and giving lighter sentences. For but that but people they're still be overcharging initially and then they're copping pleas. And the idea is kind they, of, hey, you're charged. With I, I don't know if that's true. Well, well, they I don't know about they, that. On the Mike, federal level, know. prosecutors. I mean, that, that's what the people charge you with a total who, of eighty years in prison, and then get you to take. That, that's, what the, that's what the leftists. That's what the leftists who are all for criminal justice reform say, basically are saying. But I mean, oh, in no. the Arbery trial, you can imagine them like, what did they do? They they chased him down and tried to arrest him. So there's one charge: illegal detainment, and then he well, ended up dying. So there's some form of homicide. So there's two charges, but they were charged oh. with nine, and that's because they. They want to make sure that if he's not convicted of one thing, he can be convicted of another. And it's right. just unjust. I mean, yet we have this re revolving door where this guy like Brooks could be charged 50 times, whatever it is. And he gets out on a thousand dollars bail for running over his girlfriend. I mean, come on. Well, that's why uh, that's why Elliot was saying anarcho tyranny. But my understanding is that the federal prosecutors are the real kings of this is that they basically threaten that if you get convicted, you're going to jail for 3,000 life sentences and you end up pleading to something. And that's why they have an incredible conviction rate. That's well, I mean, the federal, prosecutors, the federal prosecutors are certainly uh, corrupt on this point. Um, and the state prosecutors tend to be less so. But these were all, all three of these trials that have gone on in the last week uh, were political trials. They were regime trials. They were the regime targeting their enemies. And so they behaved as if they were, you know, the, the regime. Don't, don't get any, you know, don't think that this was anything other than the regime targeting its enemies. The last thing the regime wants us to do is defend ourselves if and when the mob comes out into the suburbs. Like McCloskey's. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. I, I do think that's what this is all about. I think so. Very, very scary. And of course, it takes EJS to step back and look at it from the uh, bigger perspective of what's going on. And I don't think I don't think any of us think that they're actually going to succeed in charging Rittenhouse with a federal crime, right? You know, I would love to see someone, whether it's DeSantis or someone else, say, "Kyle, come stay in my house. I won't respect extradition." The feds are going to have to send the, the military into my into my compound to get. Finally, Ed's becoming a crazy radical militant anarchist like me. <laughs> well, it would be the it would be the federal marshals, right? And and the the issue is that the the FBI um, under uh, Uncle Joe 
um, did a full investigation of the Rittenhouse thing and uh, presented the information to the prosecutor in Wisconsin. And the prosecutor said, and the FBI concluded there was nothing there. And the prosecutor said there was nothing there. Uh, according to the Wisconsinites, I know the federal prosecutors in Wisconsin tend not to be the political ones, tend not to be particularly political. Generally speaking, and this particular um, norm hasn't been violated yet by the left. They will, of course, do this. Um, generally speaking, you are supposed to appoint uh, federal prosecutors who live in, who have lived, who live in the area where they're going to be the prosecution. Now, I, I get it that the left in their wildest dreams would want to take, you know, su suppose there's, you know, 110 federal prosecutors. I'm sure that in their fever dreams, they want to take the 110 most vile New York uh, prosecutors and send them out uh, all throughout the country or, you know, San Francisco or whatever. Um, but they, that, that's not how it's done. The norm is that you appoint someone from the place. And so if the place isn't completely nuts and if Soros hasn't really pushed it, you tend to get fairly reasonable people as federal prosecutors in many areas. Um, and apparently Wisconsin is one of those many areas. The again, DOJ is, is saying, you know, what Nadler is trying to find a crime here, you know. If Garland wants to charge him, it doesn't matter what a federal prosecutor in the Wisconsin district wants, right? Well, yeah, I mean, he would have to, he has the jurisdiction. So, I mean, yes, he would, he could be ordered by the DOJ to, to um, charge him. There's, you know, there, he, he answers to Garland. So yes, he could be ordered to do it. Um, the issue is that he probably have to be replaced and that would be a, because um, he's already decided, you know, he's already decided. So, if, you know, I if, think this, a little bit segues into all the other raids that have been taking place lately with these people in Arizona and forgetting even the O'Keefe thing. I mean, we're just getting more and more blatant FBI raids on people who at worst should be able to turn themselves into a police station at worst. And again, they just keep getting away with it and there's nothing anybody can do. So why would they stop? You know, first they came from Michael Cohn or Roger Stone or whoever it was they did that to. And now they just keep doing it. And then if somebody like Bobert speaks up then they, you know, they all slam her. But this FBI raid thing is really out of hand, isn't it? And again, secession yes. solves this problem like almost every other problem in the world. If we were a different country, the FBI most likely would not come into our country and arrest six of my friends and punish them for victimless crimes of using and selling cryptocurrency. Well, it's not yeah, just well, the arrests; it's the breaking I'll, down the door and yeah, and and I'll, you know, yeah. What's that laser? I would, yeah, I would agree, except for the fact that the U.S. sends small teams of highly trained special operators to every other country. I know they've sent people to other countries. Whatever the hell they want. I know. So I know, yes, I know. I, the FBI would definitely send an HRT team, which are basically commandos. They would fly over in a helicopter, have eight guys jump out at three in the morning, raid a house and be gone. Okay, in general, would you agree it's less likely that if somebody uses crypto in Quebec, that FBI goes there than in New Hampshire? Is it just less likely? I know they said FBI all over the world. Right now, yes. If tomorrow the FBI declares crypto as being an enemy of the state, and a tool of terrorism. And yeah, 100%. Are you kidding me? They'll but it's just a little, one more barrier. It's a little further. They're a little less likely. There's probably more hoops to jump through for them to go to 
Israel or Quebec or Africa and go kick someone's butt for using crypto. Whereas in the I, um, I have a lot more jurisdiction, obviously. I, I'm not arguing against uh, secession here, but I don't think it would necessarily solve the problem. If, if uh, New Hampshire seceded, you still have a COVID totalitarian as governor that you can't seem to get rid of. I wrote about so, that in the book too. And, and I know that he's like <laughs> the only thing wrong with New Hampshire. And, 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 and he would be just as bad. No, he would not. If we seceded, he would have he would not be a corona fascist. All of the corona fascism, he's evil, but all of the corona fascism came from federal influence and federal money. If we cut that tie, he probably would be a a fairly reasonable governor and not a dictator right now. As you know, all the corona fascism was federal grants, federal funds, federal coercion, federal regulations, federal laws, Fauciism, FDA, CDC, WHO. It was all federal. Independent nations like Sweden and other countries, you know, they don't have that tie between DC and here. Again, every few weeks we see grants. They rejected one grant. Sununu said, no, we really want the federal money. He actually bullied the executive council and the, the House Senate Joint Fiscal Committee, and they reversed course, stabbed us in the back, and secretly accepted the $22 million grant, by the way, the other day. So again, it's all about federal grants. So I, I would disagree. I would say he would be way better on corona fascism and almost everything if you weren't looking at DC and trying to be a senator or president next in the next few years, and he wouldn't get federal money and, and all the funds and grants and influence. So yeah, as and, and my dad wrote in a great article, even just secession actually makes our own people better leaders, better statesmen, because they're not looking at DC, they're looking at their own constituents. Settled. <laughs> Okay, off the three trials, what are the other big issues of the day, folks? Nobody has any issues? So uh, I, I mean, I have a, I don't know if this is a big issue, but I think this is a, a small story that, that maybe could become a big issue. Uh, there's a Chinese tennis player who accused some member of the Chinese Communist Party of, force, of, of forcibly having sex with her. And she's gone missing. And there's, the, there's been an outcry from the International Olympic Committee and from some other sporting organizations wondering where she is. And the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party has tried to put some, uh, uh, what would you call them? Uh, I guess they've, they've tried to put some video of her to try and placate the mob that's, that's opposing them. Uh, I heard well, I she's probably in multiple places at the same time, the way the Chinese <laughs> way well, the Chinese act. I mean, the, the, the thing that I've that I heard from Biden himself, I heard Biden asked about that situation. And he was asked about um, a boycott of the Olympics. And he said he said he's considering a diplomatic boycott, which I'm not sure what that means in the context of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I haven't, I don't have enough facts yet to make a full conclusion, but I'm wondering if they're sort of setting the stage for, for the conflict that's coming with China and with, you know, China invading Taiwan. I mean, I still think that's the, the end game for China right now. They're trying to, to set the predicate so that they can invade Taiwan. Maybe it's going to be because of, you know, being offended by, by boycotts or maybe, I mean, there, there was talk about the Olympics being moved from Beijing. They start on February 3rd. Um, I've heard that that's possible, but it might be difficult. We're only, what, three months out, less than three months out from that. Um, I just, I wonder if that's going to turn into a bigger story. Um, right now, it's just, you know, one tennis player that's, you know, you know, that people are watching and, and following the situation. But 
you know, I, I was surprised to see Biden say anything provocative towards China. Um, and I wonder what it means. I wonder if it means that, I mean, I don't think he does anything with regard to China without China's permission. So I wondered if, you know, when I heard that, whether he's setting the stage for, for a conflict. And I mean, I wouldn't, I not only wouldn't put it past him, I'd be surprised if, if Biden and these Democrats weren't fomenting a situation where we lose a war and the whole purpose is for us to lose and have a military defeat and humiliation and, you know, to both destroy our, our international prestige and possibly to, to set to set about a, a collapse of the dollar. Well, I'm curious, too. I mean, I'm not as attuned to this as maybe an Ed Powell, but what kind of preparedness does Taiwan have if there is an attack? I don't know anything other than what I read in the papers, but they have, uh, um, you know, they have air defense systems and and uh, air and fighters and interceptors and, you know, they have a lot of, of stuff. It's, the question is, are they willing to fight? That's the, mm. the question is, are if they're willing to fight, anybody can defeat China. Just like well, uh, right. I mean, you know, Biden was also Biden was also asked if he would send uh, military supplies to Taiwan. And he I forget the name of the act, but he said that if Taiwan invokes some some act and requests aid, he would he would provide it. I don't know. Remember that the the oligarchy is both bought off by China and um, they do not want a uh, they they do not want a war. But on the other hand, they always want a war, Ed. They always want a war, right? So they, they, there's a, you know, the, to recognize the fact that we're no longer a republic does not mean that we are a dictatorship of one person. There's no Augustus dictating terms or, or Hitler. Or, there is a whole bunch of factions all fighting together for what they want. And um, some of them want wars and some of them want trade and some of them want to ship jobs overseas. And some of them just want, most of the people in the deep state just want the status quo. That's all they want. That's all they fought for. That's why they uh, tried to prop up Gorbachev. You know, George H.W. Bush tried to prop up Gorbachev and save the Soviet Union in the, while it was being dissolved. I mean, you think about that. Our government, our State Department, our president tried to save the Soviet Union from dissolution, right? That's what they want. They want stability. They want the status quo. And so they want the status quo with China. That's what they want. The question is, does China want the status quo? And if they don't, what are we going to do about it? And Uh, I I have no more answer than you. I I bring it up to, I'm wondering if there's any danger for China. And listen, we know from our own experience, historically, that we can get uh, into a morass that you can't get out of. Look, it, it's, you know, there's a, there is a large probability that if we try to defend uh, China, uh, we'll get our asses kicked. On the other hand, let's be honest, there is a similar probability that if China tries to invade, they get their asses kicked because an invasion is not that easy across 100 miles. I mean, look at what, uh, you know, Overlord uh, took, you know, what the preparations for Overlord were. Um, so, it, you know, why did the Russians win the Second World War? Because they didn't give up. 
You know, I, I, why did the Afghanis win? Well, because the they got war? American lend-lease aid. That's why. Yeah, well, that's true. But they didn't surrender. They didn't give up. And the Afghanis didn't give up. And nobody gave up. You know, all that, all that it takes to win a war, and it might take a long time, but all that it takes is just not to give up. And so if the Taiwanese surrender immediately, which I think there's a fair chance they will, then they're going to lose. If the, if the Taiwanese fight to the death, then I think they're going to win because it's a, it's, a, it's a long air bridge and it's a long sea bridge to get stuff into Taiwan uh, against modern anti-aircraft weapons. So it's, it's you know. I don't know much I don't at know. all about the Mike, you asked what is, what is that, Elliot? I don't know much about this stuff at all, but I would say it's very unlikely, highly unlikely that there's going to be a hot war. I think if China's going to take it over, they'll just take it over diplomatically. We, we know the Taiwan president, I think, is already a Xi Jinping puppet. I think it's pretty obvious. They control the government. They control media, probably every major institution in Taiwan. Like they control. No, they don't. That's Hon- you're right thinking now. Hong Kong. That's not Taiwan. Okay, yeah, more Hong Kong. They totally control the government. But Taiwan, whether they do explicitly or not, I don't know. I assume if they do take it over, though, it'll be diplomatic, peaceful, not so much as a hot war. But again, I, I know very little. I don't even pretend to know international politics because nobody knows because it's so goddamn complicated. No one knows what to trust. But I don't see a hot war coming anytime soon. I don't think. I, I do see a hot war coming, and and Mike. Uh, just to answer your question about why does China have to lose, you know, I've, I've talked, you know, over the last two or three months or so about the, the economic problems that China is facing right now. Their, proper, their, their property sector is collapsing. Uh, right. their, property manage, their property development companies are facing massive default. And, you know, com- countries that are facing economic crisis often turn to war to try and divert. Yeah, the, I'm, the I'm not I'm not doubting that they may do it, but I, I'm just curious as to whether they get stuck in a morass like we did well, in Vietnam the, or like the, the, uh, the, the one thing though, that we have to the, understand the, the about, Soviets did in Afghanistan. The consequence is their, their society could collapse. That's the possible it, consequence. The, the issue about war is that if you lose, it tends to uh, not always, but it, it tends to um, caused reg- regime change in the country that loses, even if the country didn't get conquered. And so I think the war party in the United States is hoping for regime change to sweep away the last vestiges of Republican government if we lose. But I think China, if they lose um, or lose a ton of men, which they could very well, could very well happen. What regime change means to them is the destruction of the Chinese Communist Party. And that, I think, um, is the risk for them. Yep. And, and the economic problems that they're facing could exacerbate that and accelerate it. Awesome. What else we got? It's amazing. Well, we got, got to have some COVID tyranny to talk about. Well, Ed, <laughs> um, would you do me a favor and read the first paragraph of that uh, Missouri decision? And that will be my uh, contribution today. I've got to take this out of the oven. So if you if you would read that, that's my last thing today. All right. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, yeah. The Missouri decision. Very interesting. You saw it? No, I just saw the story about it. All right, I'll read it. The case is 
It's from the circuit court of Cole County in the state of Missouri. It's Shannon Robinson versus the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. And it's a judgment and it starts off as follows. This case is about whether Missouri's Department of Health and Senior Services regulations can abolish representative government in the creation of public health laws and whether it can authorize closure of a school or assembly based on the unfettered opinion of an unelected official. This court finds it cannot. Yay. Dear Chris Sununu. Yeah, it's like Don't dear, get me started. Dear, be like dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, that sounds like an incredibly cool ruling. I'll share it with you guys. You know, some of us find it a little confusing that everything is different depending on the day, depending on the judge. It's like talking about chaos. The law just keeps changing. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I think that stability in the law tends to be a good thing. I think that constantly changing law makes it impossible for the citizen to know what he can and cannot do. So I think that stability does have a, 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 an important role to play in the law. Um, I think as far as the COVID stuff goes, there we're start, you know, that's not the only opinion that is pushing back on COVID fascism. I mean, I, I think we talked last week about the Fifth Circuit's uh, yeah. invalidation of the OSHA rule that requires businesses with 100 plus people to, to vaccinate their entire workforce. Um, I think that uh, that was a great opinion and they, they you know, the, the court pushed back. Um, I, didn't, I don't know if I shared this with you guys, but uh, the, the, there were three other cases that were filed in the one in the Sixth Circuit, one in the Tenth Circuit, one in the Eleventh Circuit. And pursuant to a federal statute that consolidates similar cases like that into what's called a multi-district litigation, uh, they were all consolidated before a Sixth Circuit. And just yesterday, the federal government filed a motion to dissolve the Fifth Circuit's injunction against the OSHA mandate being banned. And um, it's, a, it's a, a really brazen motion that I, I read I read the motion last night. Um, it's basically an appeal of what the Fifth Circuit did. And the the multi-district litigation rules allow the court into which the case is consolidated to revise or modify or even dissolve an injunction that a prior court has issued. But it's contem the, the contemplation is if there are changed circumstances. Uh, it's, it doesn't contemplate, in my opinion, allowing just uh, allowing an appeal of a coordinate court. I mean, in general, the, the Sixth Circuit can't overrule the Fifth Circuit. That's just a general rule of, of comedy with the courts. If the federal government wants to appeal what the Fifth Circuit order is, they're supposed to appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court. But they're trying to get a, a second bite at the apple. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what the Sixth Circuit does. Um, I expect... I expect, maybe I, maybe I hope, I should say I hope rather than expect, but uh, I, I certainly hope and I, and I at least, and I, I would love to see the Sixth Circuit just smack them down. Uh, but I think it, we're seeing little pockets. There was another case involving the Navy SEALs. Uh, they lost most of their case, but uh, 
the religious exemption, they, they argued, uh, the military uh, service members argued that the government was just blanketly and indiscriminately denying all religious exemptions, such that the religious exemption was actually illusory. Yes, that's true, by the way. They've granted zero. Yeah, well, and there was a there was an opinion from I forget which I forget if it was the D.C. court. I forget where it came out of. I can send that opinion along, too, if you guys want to see it. But um, basically, the court denied most of the relief they requested. But that was the one argument that they said we, we need reports that they, the court ordered the Department of Justice, or the Department of Defense to issue, uh, I think it was biweekly reports starting in January showing how many uh, religious exemptions were filed, how many were granted, how many were denied. And the court is going to revisit the issue in a couple of weeks or a couple of months and see whether or not uh, the, the exemptions are, are, in fact, illusory. And it, the opinion implies that if that's the case, that's a constitutional violation. So my point in raising all that, I know that's a little technical gobbledygook, legalese gobbledygook, but some courts are starting to push back a little bit, not as much as, as, as I'd like, not as much as like I think we'd like as a group, but uh, at least we're seeing some pockets of resistance right now. Uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, we didn't really see any resistance from the courts. The courts were uniformly opposed to us. Uh, they're still mostly opposed to us, but uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I encourage anyone who's a liberty lover to, to find that Fifth Circuit opinion on the OSHA mandate. It was a great That's opinion. Huh? It was a phenomenal opinion. Yeah. I just want to point out with all of what you're saying, it always goes back to when the court rules in their favor, it's settled law. And when the court rules in all fa our favor, there's always a thousand ways to fight it and appeal it. So that's true. And I think part of that is their side fights and our side doesn't. Exactly. Yep. I guess what Ed just said about the Russians. All right. Let's start to wrap up. And I know it's, it's just about Thanksgiving. So if anybody wants to end on a positive note, I won't oppose it. I'll um, oppose it. There's no <laughs> optimism on the show. I can't allow that. Come on. What are you thankful for, Alu? I'm thankful that I live in the freest state in the world, um, considering we live in a communist authoritarian world and a communist authoritarian Republic of America. New Hampshire is the freest state. I'll link the article proving that it's the freest state and trending towards freedom more than any other state. I'll link that in the description. Um, you're, you're thankful for that ranking that I saw too for Liberty. Yeah, Bar. well, we've been number two behind just Granite Rock, um, <laughs> excluding ABC. We've been we've been in that position for a while, but yeah, um, everyone else like Union Leader, Concord Monitor, old legacy media is far behind now. So it's Granite Rock, which is conservatarian, and Liberty Block, which is voluntarist libertarian, as the top in New Hampshire. Again, it's one of the uh, hundreds or maybe a few thousand reasons why New Hampshire is the most the most free place. And everyone listening out there, all of our dozen listeners around the United States and around the world who think they're going to save California, flip New York red again. I heard someone else, someone in a meeting earlier today said, oh yeah, we won a few mayor races in Connecticut. We're flipping Massachusetts. We won in Vermont. We're doing well in Maine and New York. We flipped like uh, 30 seats in school boards in New York and mayor and um, state assembly in New York or something. And I'm like, oh my God, just give up. So let me ask you who in New Hampshire is actively working on a trade? Well, we have progressivestateproject.com. No, I mean, no, no, not people. 
we'll trade you Sununu for DeSantis and we'll throw in, you know, a first round draft pick kind I of I spoke thing. to someone, someone close to the, the governor DeSantis, and he told me to go screw myself. I think you know who it is about a trade for Sununu. So Tallahassee is not uh, biting on that trade, but I'll keep working on it. <laughs> we'll send them some snow. All right, Mike. Jody, no, let's go with Jody. So, uh, go ahead, Jody. Jody why is no, I'm it good. I'm I'm a spectator on this episode. It was great. Thank you. I'll let others go. So uh, I just found this one little nugget to be kind of funny this week. So apparently Jonah Goldberg and Stephen Hayes resigned and quit Fox News because of Tucker's um, documentary on the January 6th riot. And uh <laughs> I mean, I think it's just hysterical. I mean, you know, Tucker is obviously trying to get to the, the truth. We know that there's a lot that's been concealed about what happened that day and the true facts haven't come out. So, and uh, I don't think the documentary has even been released yet. So I don't know, I just, I just find it amusing that these, these two gentlemen who are, I think, pretty big fixtures in the conservative movement uh, don't find that they even have a home at Fox News uh, anymore. <laughs> it, it was released. It was released okay. last week. Uh, it's on Fox Nation, so you have to have a subscription to uh, okay um, to watch it. Um, I don't think it, it, there's anything in there that we didn't know already, uh, yeah. because we pay attention to alternative news sources. But from the standpoint of uh, the regime, um, I think it was uh, very shocking, and it's been watched apparently a lot on Fox mm -hmm. Nation. Well, again, I think, you know, it's Trump derangement uh, syndrome that still exists. Yes, <laughs> even, even, even 10 plus months after he's gone. So, um, uh, you know, it's interesting that he's been on Hannity, Trump, and also uh, who else did he do an interview with recently? I, I'm not sure, but it, to me, it's pretty clear he's running again. Chris Christie's going to run. He's been out there rehabilitating himself. So I think we're in for some fun down, down the road. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about, but I'm not sure if I'm really totally prepared to, and maybe we can bring this up on another show, is this whole Facebook thing about being called meta and what Zuckerberg is really up to, I, I think is interesting. And I, I, I think that uh, what they really want to do is submerge the masses into this alternate reality while they're controlling the real reality. And uh, I think there's real implications for us going forward. But, uh, you know, maybe that's one we could talk about again down the road. I think the meta is, is really interesting in the sense that Zuckerberg recognizes that he's done grave damage to his brand. And instead of fixing the problem of what he did, he's just trying to rebrand himself, right? I mean, everybody knows why... Facebook is losing customers. It's because of the censorship. It's because of the blocking. It's because of the putting people in jail. It's because of the suppression of information. And it's not because the name is Facebook, right? I mean, it's, it's changing it to meta, but keeping the same community standards, haha, doesn't solve the problem. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think that's part of it, but I, I think he is, you know, trying to establish something there. With this metaverse, that's beyond beyond, beyond Facebook. You talking about this whole transhumanism business? No, I think they're they're they want to create an alternate 
alternate reality where especially young people are just going to dive in, right? Yeah, Zuckerberg is working going on, to be a pla- working it's going on to- Oculus for a while. I think Oculus came out a long time ago owned by Facebook. But obviously Facebook, so Zuckerberg under Meta now owns Facebook, WhatsApp, I think Instagram and Messenger, yeah. and maybe some other brands. And they also, I think, have Oculus Laser, I think is more familiar with a bit of Yeah, I, Google Google uh, reorganized into a uh, holding, holding company called Alphabet, yeah. which then had... Uh, ownership or control of all of these right. other things. There, there are certain benefits from a stock perspective of, for doing that. And I think basically this was Zuckerberg's uh, same thing. It, it's, there, there are certain stock benefits of reorganizing as a holding company like that. Um, I do think that he d- does want, oh God, I'm, my mind is going, what, what, what is the novel in the movie about everybody uh, in the virtual world, nobody in the real world. They all live in trailer parks and they're in the virtual world. Ready Player um, One. Not, not in yeah, session. Ready Player One. Yes, of course. I think that's, I, 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 I'm very glad he wants to do that because it's going to be an ultimately, it's ultimately going to be a, a giant failure. Um, virtual reality has been around for certainly the entire 21st century and it hasn't taken off because it's clumsy and stupid to a wear this helmet. Buy in. It's just a matter of how many. Um, so it, it, it's very difficult. It's clumsy. It's stupid. It, 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 it's, there, there are certain, obviously, they use virtual reality for like fighter pilot training and things like that. I actually flew a, a Chinook helicopter uh, in a very realistic um, uh, virtual simulator uh, at, at a base the other day or before the pandemic. Um, so there are some uses for it. But for everyday uh, gaming and whatnot, it's 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 a loser and it's probably going to stay a loser for quite some time. So I'm glad he's investing a lot of money in it. Speaking of losers, I think I told you guys a few weeks ago that Teespring canceled our store. 27 out of 28 of our designs we have on t-shirts, long sleeves and hoodies, like these great designs and the extreme, I'm the extremist Facebook warned you about and all that stuff. Um, They canceled almost all of our shirts. And we, so obviously we want to have these alternate uh, parallel institutions and, and economies and businesses I reached out, I, we have a lot of friends in New Hampshire. Again, New Hampshire has thousands of liberty activists and liberty entrepreneurs. One of them is an entrepreneur who also has a small liberty podcast. And he also has a company called Strike Fear Apparel Clothing. And um, I have a preliminary deal with him. Hopefully Liberty Block will start working with him and he can do pretty much everything to produce t-shirts and hoodies and long sleeve shirts. And obviously he's libertarian. He lives right here near, near Manchester and he has no issues. He saw all my designs, he loves them all. So hopefully he can work with Liberty Block. So strike fear clothing. Hopefully within a few weeks will be operational. We'll ship everywhere. It'll be just like Teespring, but better and uncancelable. And again, we have our own economy here. I got when I put up that post a few weeks ago when Teespring canceled me. Within a few, within a day, I had three, three or four different businesses had commented saying, "Oh, we do clothing. We'd love to work with you in New Hampshire." Again, a lot of libertarians have businesses in New Hampshire. Thousands of businesses. I found that about a few more the other day. So hopefully we'll be back up operational. Sorry guys, the store is a bit down right now. Teespring canceled us because they suck and they don't like freedom. They canceled the one that just says crowd capitalist. They canceled that too. They canceled everything, everything besides one. So yeah, hopefully we'll be back up soon. Well, that's a cool shirt. And, and I like Ed's too. And, and like I said, <laughs> if, if you have not been canceled at least once from some social media site, then you are not fighting proper. You're not fighting the actual war. And I'm proud to have been canceled from Zazzle because I wanted to make a mask that says this mask does not work. Hopefully we can. Uh, uh, we, well, Laser's we, winning. He's been, he's been put in Facebook jail without, he literally hasn't made a post in a year. 
But just for knowing, yeah, knowing the Olympics like you that. and me, he's been thrown in jail for that. Just for knowing. I'm us. the only person who's ever been put on Facebook jail, to my knowledge, without having touched Facebook in like four months. Well, it was that's awesome. I just awesome. walked in one day and they said you're in Facebook jail. Maybe, maybe it's because they think your name is a weapon of war. It could like, be. I think it's because I have laser. Please. Terrible people like all of you. <laughs> That's what you get for associating with us. They saw my friends list and they're like, whoever he is, we're sure he's also the devil. <laughs> Ed M? Um, I think I want to just close with a little Thanksgiving thanks. I think that we've got a great team here and I want to make sure everybody in the audience knows how much I appreciate all of you guys. Stephen, for being not just the great MC of the show, but for doing so much legwork behind the scenes and providing show notes and ideas throughout the week about things that we could discuss. Jody, for always being thoughtful and kind and always having a good word to say and always having a positive outlook. Uh, Elliot and Laser, the two brothers that I wish I had. Uh, Ed and Mike for being uh, great guests, hosts, and offering great contributions and showing really a lot of intellect and a lot of uh, passion for our show. And uh, I'm really thankful that I get to work with you guys and participate once a week. We've been going for over a year now, and I hope it continues for, for a long time. And uh, I just want to say thank you and, you know, make sure that everybody, you know, not just thank you privately, but a, a nice public thank you. You guys all do a great job. And I'm really thankful that I get to work with you. So it's funny, you almost stole my little bit of thunder. You put it very well, of course. I was only gonna go off my usual role and give thanks. Today is show number 75 that we have done every single week. I unfortunately missed one because my mother passed away. I think, Ed, you've been every single one, correct? I've been at every one. You are the reigning Cal Ripken of EJS on the Liberty Cal and that is absolutely incredible. So we thank everybody. And today was a great show, really spirited and some really good points. Yeah. So just to echo Ed M, thank you guys so much. It's, I didn't think a year ago we would have 75 straight shows and I think we're only getting better. So with that, enjoy your soy tomorrow. I mean, your turkey tomorrow and enjoy your non-leftist family members if possible. <laughs> and we'll see y'all back next week. Four o'clock on Wednesday. Have a great right, guys. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.